0: mentioned before is our uh, regional coordinator for youth ministry and actually your title Eric I'm going to destroy it I don't actually know it I always just call you the regional coordinator for youth ministry but you'll you know you can fill that in when you come up here and uh, we're excited to have him with us just a week ago he was he was speaking at a a weekend long youth retreat so you know he's had a chance to kind of catch up on his sleep but Eric uh, with no further ado come on and bring God's word for us thank you (laughs) And uh, in that role, I get to support kids and youth ministry and young adult ministry and uh, ministry leaders across our conference. It's a role that I love uh, to do. I'm also the coordinator of communications for our conference, and I would love for you to connect with all of our communication streams. There should be a slide up there. You'll see um, our website is pacnwc.org, and on that website, you can connect to everything uh, we have a weekly newsletter we call the catch of the week that you can subscribe to that um, is connected to our weekly blog. We also have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter accounts that we update regularly. We, we are probably most consistently updating our Facebook group uh, where you see almost daily new information stories, stuff that's going on in our conference. So that's a way you can kind of see the bigger picture, the bit larger family that you're a part of. So i recommend you check that out. Um, And I don't mind if you get your phone out and uh, subscribe to it right now. It wouldn't bother me at all. Um, I want to introduce to you my wife, Melanie. She's right here. She came up with me, and uh, I'm really um, grateful that she's here with me. She's a really good example of someone who is following following her vocational call outside of ministry. She's a speech pathologist in a middle school down in Portland, Oregon. We also have two kids. I think there's a slide up there that will show us um, this New Year's Eve. We make it a, a tradition to go down to the Portland Pioneer Courthouse Square and take a picture with the big Christmas tree that's there. So you'll see there my son, the tall redhead, his name is Duncan, and he's um, engaged to be married to Shelby, who's right in front of him, the one who's vertically challenged. And um, my daughter, Ella, there is 17, and she's a senior in high school, getting ready to graduate. She's also the captain of the varsity basketball team. We're really proud of her as they're getting ready to go into playoffs, so pray for us because things are just insane at our home right now because of all the things that are going on. Um, Okay, I'm really glad to be with you this morning. Uh, It's a beautiful church, and this is a beautiful place. It's really fun to be here, and when I, the, the kind of the seed for coming today was that Angela wanted to promote Unite that's coming up, and, and then it was like, well, Eric, Eric knows about Unite, and so here I am. And uh, I just thought I'd share really quickly that Unite is in the spirit of a former event we used to have called Chick. If any of you have been around the Covenant for a while, you might know Chick. I see somebody put their hand up. Maybe they went to it. And we changed the name because Chick is a terrible name to Unite. Um, But I've been to six Chicks uh, through my time in youth ministry in the Covenant. And through that, I've seen hundreds of students, personal, my students that I brought to those events. I've seen God change their lives forever through those events, and I've seen thousands of other students' lives change as well through those events, and uh, it's an expensive event. I don't know how much Angela is charging. It's probably eight or nine hundred dollars as you get through all the transportation and everything that's involved, and you might ask, like, that's a lot of money. Is it worth it? And I'm here to tell you it is. Uh, it's well worth that investment, and so as you, as a church, get behind your students going to help them to pay for it, as you talk to the students in your own lives and, and say, maybe you should go to this event, uh, just look forward to it being something that's going to be a life-changing event where they're going to not only experience God in their lives in a new and a fresh way, that will that it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime moment to experience God in that way, they will also see a bigger picture of God's kingdom. As we sit in an auditorium with a thousand other students and worship God together, they learn about the covenant and what God is doing around the world. So, uh, I can't wait for Unite, and I can't wait to spend the summer there with your students. I was actually just at Biola, where we're going to be having this event, on Wednesday. I was down checking out the campus, getting ready for the event, and I got so excited, and so I'm excited for you too. So. But right now, I'm excited to be here this morning, and I, I appreciate everyone that came up to me this morning and said, we're excited you're here, because that gets me excited, so here we go, I can't wait. Um, I wonder, though, is anybody here like me, are you Olympics fans? Olympics junkies, were you watching the summer, the winter Olympics that just took place? If, I, like, if you're like me, like every night I stayed up too late, like pulling up videos on YouTube or watching the live feed. I love, love, love watching the Olympics. And the winter Olympics, there's something special about it. And um, this last year, um, this, uh, the last couple of weeks ago, um, they highlighted a lot the sport of curling. It, it, w- it had become popular the year, the Olympics before and I got really into curling. I was like, what is, what is up with this sport? And, it got, and it, I was wondering, like, why is it so popular? And as I thought about it, I got an idea. I think the reason that curling became so popular is because we look at that sport and we say to ourselves, well, I can do that, right? <laughs> I could be an Olympic athlete. I could throw the rock down the lane, and it seems easy enough. Well, I got got really interested in curling, so I, I looked up some information about it. And this is a description that I found about curling that describes what it's about and especially what the people with the brooms are doing. So it says this. Players push the rock on ice toward a target. The path of the rock may be further influenced by two sweepers with brooms who accompany it as it slides down the sheet and sweeps the ice in front of the stone. Sweeping a rock decreases the friction, which makes the stone travel a straighter path with less curl and a longer distance. So in curling, a sweeper's job is to go to the rock and reduce the friction so it can travel a straighter line it can travel further towards the target. In essence, the sweeper's job is to make a path to the target. And today, this morning, I want to take this opportunity to talk to you about the fact that we are called to be sweepers for others. By others, I mean people who are different from us, such as young people. And by sweeper, I mean making a path to Jesus. And my hope is that as we unpack this this morning, you will see this opportunity to be a sweeper for Jesus and say to yourself, I can do that. So my main point is pretty clear, pretty straightforward today, that we are all called to make pathways to Jesus. And I want to share to you three elements, three pieces to what it means to be a sweeper, what it means to be a person that makes pathways to Jesus. So the first one is do not see others as problems to solve. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 18 verses 15 through 17 this morning. So if you have a Bible, feel free to grab it. I'm going to be reading from my tablet from the NIV version. Luke chapter 18 verse 15. Jesus says this, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Now this is a familiar passage, but I want to unpack it a little bit so that we can um, determine what it's telling us about becoming a sweeper. So the first thing I want to point out is there's this word babies in this passage, and the Greek word for that is prephos, and it, and it means literally like a small child. And that's why it's translated babies. But I want to point out that a little bit later, the, uh, in verse 17, a different word is used. And a- along with the parallel passages, the other parts of the Bible tell the same story. They use actually a different Greek word, and that is the word paidon, which means a child below the age of puberty. And I just share it with you because I want us to look at this story and understand that Jesus is talking more Than just about babies, more than just infants, but young people in general are the topic at hand. And when I see this story, I identify it with it very easily. I can picture it in my mind clearly. There are crowds of people, and Jesus is doing his ministry. He's doing his adult work, preaching, and he's and he's Uh, doing important adult teaching, and the disciples are there, and they're taking their disciple job very seriously. And these, um, I would assume, parents, probably women, young women, are bringing their their children with them, and the children are causing a distraction. They're crying, or they're running around, they're doing children-y kind of things, right? And the disciples see this, and they say, this is a problem. These children are distracting people from Jesus, And so they ask themselves, how do we solve this problem? And they jumped to the natural conclusion that most of us would jump to, which is we need to put these children in their place. That is going to solve the problem, which is these children. Now, I admit, if I were there, I think I would jump to doing the exact same thing because that's how I was raised. When I was uh, younger, we would have kind of like mini family reunions almost every Sunday. I grew up in Medford, southern oregon and after church on sunday myself and my cousins my aunts and uncles we'd all descend on my grandma's house we'd bring food we'd have kind of like a family potluck almost every sunday especially in the summer and um, all of the children myself included were assigned to the children's table right probably a lot of you experienced having a children's table now we were so bad that they would put the children's table in the backyard. And I don't blame them because I was a terrible kid. And I remember clearly going through the line where all the food was, and my mom would be there, and she would serve my plate, and she would put stuff on there I didn't like, especially my Aunt Bernie's jello salad. I couldn't stand jello salad. And she put a big old scoop on there, and I'd take it out to the picnic table in the backyard, and I devised an ingenious way not to have to eat that jello salad. And what I would do is I'd get a big scoop of it in my fork, and then I'd pretend that a bug bit me, and I'd go, ouch! And in so doing, I'd fling the salad over my shoulder. I don't know where it went. I didn't care. I didn't have to eat it. And I'd eat a little bit more of something else, and then I'd get another big scoop, and I'd go, ouch! And I'd fling it over my shoulder. And in that way, I never had to eat any of my Aunt Bernie's jealous salad. So kids, don't try this at home. This isn't a recommendation. But I was terrible, right? Who would want me sitting at the adult table acting like this? Nobody would. I was a problem, and my parents and my cousins and my aunts and uncles solved that problem by putting me in my place, and that was at the kids' table In the backyard. Now, the disciples' attitude towards children was common because at this time children were not valued like they are today. There were no like lawnmower, helicopter parents, that kind of thing. As a matter of fact, kids were seen as a nuisance and had very little value until they became a contributing part of society. Until that point, they were just inconvenient. Now, we are surrounded by inconvenient people. We, all of us, are surrounded by inconvenient people. Today's young people are very inconvenient. Youth culture is different today than it's ever been before. And the difference between youth culture today and us as adults, that gap is much bigger than it was for us when we were children between us and our parents. Young people today are developing in three primary tasks. Identity, belonging, and purpose. Fifty years ago and beyond, people typically asked, who am I to find out where they would belong and therefore what they would believe? But today, people are asking first, where do I belong? To find out who they are and what they believe. Statistics show, unfortunately, that they are not finding that belonging in the church. 23% of adults are now what we call nuns. That is people that show no religious affiliation. They claim um, no religious affiliation. That same number of people, that's the same amount of evangelicals and Catholics. Now, if you were to take that statistic and narrow it down to just 18 to 22-year-olds, you'll see that number jumps to 40%. 40% of people ages 18 to 22 consider them nuns. That is more than evangelicals and Catholics combined. Now, this is a huge problem. And it looks like it's a problem of non-belief. And it is. Because ideological differences are tearing us apart right now. And young people see that and don't want to have anything to do with it. But even more than that, it's a problem of belonging. It looks like a belief problem, but it's actually a problem of belonging. Because when we look at people as the problem, then we try to solve that problem by putting them in their place just like the disciples and when we put others in their place, it pushes them away from Jesus. When we put people in their place, it pushes them away from Jesus. Now, no doubt the disciples um, were, thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were being helpful, but they were actually pushing people away from Jesus. Jesus. Now, in this story, we're talking clearly about young people, but the principle that Jesus is teaching applies to all of the inconvenient people in our lives. To anyone who is not like us, maybe someone who doesn't think like us, look like us, or act like us, people that have different color skin, single moms, sexual minorities, people with disabilities, and people suffering from addictions. All of the groups I just mentioned have historically and presently felt put in their place by Christians. And more and more, they want nothing to do with Jesus. When we put people in their place, we literally push them away from Jesus. So how do we put people in their place? We do it in many small and large ways all the time, and often with good intentions. It starts with thoughts like, that's not how we do things here. Or, you are making me feel uncomfortable. Or maybe, please just try to fit in. Churches today are good at saying all are welcome without saying out loud, but thinking as long as you do your best to fit in. The disciples physically pushed the young people away from Jesus. And when we see others as problems to solve, and we put them in their place, we do the same thing. So do not see others as problems to solve. The next step, the next principle in order to become a sweeper for Jesus, is to see others as wonders to behold. Look at uh, verse 18 of, I mean verse 16 of Luke 18. But Jesus called to the children to him, and he said, "Let the little children come to me." And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus calls over the disciples' rebuke. The the, the disciples are busy putting the people, the children, the young people in their place. And Jesus calls out over their rebuke, and he says, hold up. No, make way, bring them to me. He gestures, bring the kids forward. And I could kind of picture the disciples in this moment, suddenly freezing as they hear Jesus' voice. And they realize in that instant their mistake. And they change strategies. Instead of putting people in their place, they start making a pathway to Jesus. I can imagine them going, wait a minute. And they, they go to the children and they say, come with me to Jesus. And they, they go to the adults and they say, please step aside. Let's make a path. Let's make it easy for these children, to get to Jesus, and this scene gets me ex- gets me excited um, because you can um, only do this if you see others as Jesus does, and he Jesus clearly sees others as wonders to behold. In a seminar about youth ministry um, by a guy named Mark Ostriker, he's like a youth ministry guru that's written books and all the and all kinds of things um, to help youth workers and youth ministries, I was in a seminar with him, and he asked this compelling question that gave me this idea. And he asked this, do we see teenagers as a problem to solve or a wonder to behold? And I love that question because the way we answer it will determine how we relate to them, how we relate to the teenagers among us, but not just the teenagers, all of the others. All of the inconvenient others around us. If we see them as worthy of coming alongside and sweeping a path to Jesus, we will do that. Now the word "let" that Jesus says, He's, "Let the children come to me." Um, that's in the NIV. In the King James version, it's the word "suffer." You may have heard that. "Suffer the children to me." It's the Greek word "aphemi," which means to allow, to permit, or to leave space for. So Jesus says, hold up. You got the wrong strategy. These children are a wonder to behold. These others are a wonder to behold. Let us make space. Even if it causes us suffering, even if it means we are uncomfortable, it's worth it for them to come to me. Now, belonging is, I believe, the pathway that leads to belief. Belonging is the pathway that leads to belief. When we sacrificially make space, others feel like they belong. When a young person knows that there's a group of adults that they belong with, they will want more. And that will only happen through significant relationships. The music, the messages, the decor of a church experience might not necessarily be to their liking, but if they are unconditionally loved, they will stick. The more, the better. Uh, there's, a, there's a book that Fuller Institute Youth put out called Sticky Faith, and in that book it says that young people, if, uh, statistically, if they have five significant relationships in the church outside of their family, they're much more likely to stick in that community, and that is what's more important, most important, more important than flashy programs like Unite or Youth Group, but having significant relationships, and it will only happen if you do it. This isn't a program. This doesn't happen by the pastor or someone putting together an opportunity. It happens when we see young people or all of the others as wonders to behold, and then we engage with them. Your friendship is their pathway to Jesus. You're saying to them, you are my people. You belong here. You are important enough for me to step out of my comfort zone to invite you into my life. That will be informative to their identity. Um, I, ha- I know someone named Paul Schram who is like one of my youth ministry heroes, and he exemplified this better than anyone I know. He was a youth pastor at another church in the Portland area, and uh, he was basically like a, a glorified volunteer. He was very, paid very little. It was a small church of like, like 50 to 75 people. Yet when we would have events like Mud and Thunder or Middle School and High School retreats or Chick, he would bring these enormous groups. And I was always like, "What? how is he doing this? I don't get it because I'd look at him, and I would say he looks like a real estate salesman. Because he was a real estate salesman. That was his, that was his, his like day job, so it, no offense to anybody that says real estate. You guys look great. But don't, it's not something that seems like it would, have, it would appeal to like a young person, right? And so I got to know him a little bit, and, and what I discovered was that on a Sunday morning they would have like 50 to 100 people at their church, and of that 50 to 100 people, half of them would be children and youth. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. How does that happen? And then I got to know a little bit more, and what I discovered was the church was right across the street from an apartment complex, a low-income apartment complex. And Paul saw those people as wonders to behold. And he decided he wanted to make a pathway for them to Jesus. And so he would go across the street and spend lots of time with the children from this apartment complex. He worked really hard to help their Sunday morning experience be a welcoming experience for those people, where people would come and they'd feel like this was their family. And in so doing, lots of those kids came. And it was a mess. They had so many problems, but it was a beautiful mess because people were finding Jesus. They were finding belief through belonging because Paul saw them as wonders to behold and decided it was worth it to make a pathway to Jesus. He stepped out of his comfort zone, got to know them, helped them to find Jesus. So, the second step, the second way to be able to become a sweeper for Jesus is to see others as wonders to behold. The third and last one is to see yourself in the kingdom of God. To see yourself in the kingdom of God. The story wraps up in verse 17. Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Jesus not only welcomes the child, but he says, but he lifts them up. He says, be like this. 1 Corinthians 19.22, Paul says something serious. He says, I have become all things To all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. To make a pathway, we must become like the other. Jesus says that, uh, excuse me, Paul says that he will become a servant. He'll become a Jew. He'll become under the law or not under the law. He'll even become weak in order to help someone else know Jesus. So how do you help another person to belong? You listen to their story. You learn about them and their culture. And you let go of what is important to you and embrace what is important to them. You leave your comfort zone behind to go to where they are. And you transform the place that you are in to be a place that they want to be. How do we make make a pathway just like The disciples did you go to the other an olympic curler wouldn't do a very good job at their role if they just stood at the target with their brooms and said come on rock come on over no their job is to go to the rock and sweep a path to the target once you realize who the others in your life are and the ways you have put them in their place you must go to them maybe physically maybe through spending time maybe with that scary teenager that lives across the street or a homeless person but you must take the initiative go to them talk to them ask about them ask about their interests and their culture and the good news is is that we actually enter the kingdom of god ourselves when we make pathways The process of helping others come into the kingdom of God actually brings us into the kingdom of God. We actually get something out of this. We participate and we enter into and experience the kingdom of God. Now, we don't just mean going to heaven. Kingdom of God talks about God's present work that's happening right now in our hearts and also his reconciling work of bringing the world into right order, into the image that he has for it. My, my friend, Paul Schramm, the guy I just told you about, he would often say this, I want to be close to Jesus. And I know that Jesus is with the hurting kids across the street from my church. So I want to be with them in order to be closer to Jesus. If we want to be close to Jesus ourselves, we want to be where he is, right? And he is with the inconvenient others in our lives. When we spend time with these others, we get closer to Jesus. Now, not every relationship will bear spiritual fruit, but that doesn't matter. It's when we, because we are blessed by our faithfulness, and it will be amazing. It will be fulfilling. It will deepen your walk with God to become a sweeper for Jesus. Because after all, we all are ultimately the inconvenient other ourselves. I'm sure all of us have experienced the time when we have been put in our place. In society, maybe even within the church. We have all felt like the outsider that doesn't belong. But God in his grace has welcomed each of us. Someone, somewhere, helped make a pathway for us to find Jesus. If it weren't for that, we would all be on the outside, but for God's grace, he has welcomed us in, and it's our time, it's our turn to extend that grace to others. Now, as young adults, uh, during a time between churches, my wife and I um, tried becoming part of a church that was near our house where we lived, and we visited it, and we thought, man, this is a pretty good church. We like the preaching and the music and everything about it, but after visiting two or three times, we realized we had not met a single person. Not, we didn't know a single name. No one had reached out to us once, except for the person maybe that opened the door and said, welcome. So we thought, well, how do we get into the community here? Maybe we heard that there was like a Wednesday night Bible study. So we thought, we'll said, we go to the Wednesday night Bible study. That's certainly where people get connected. And so we're on our way one Wednesday night to go, and we're talking about it. And, and I made the comment, I said, you know what? If they do a churn and greet each other moment, um, I'm going to stand there with my arms down to my side, and I'm going to see if anybody will greet me, right? I'm going to put this church to the test. All right, okay. We drove a little further, and I said, you know what? Uh, what if somebody comes, and it's also their first time, and they're standing right next to me? I would hate for them to be not greeted, you know? So I'm like, was, so I'm like my, my brain is like in turmoil. What do I do? What do I do? So we get there. It's in a smaller space. There's less people, and the service gets started, and sure enough, they say, please turn and greet each other. And so my wife is here, and I'm here, and we watch as all around us, everybody turns into little groups, and no one says hi to us. All except for a guy standing right next to me that no one else greeted either. And so I said, okay, hi, my name's Eric. You know, who are you? Oh, I'm Jim. This is my first time here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it happens just like I thought it would. Um, and so maybe needless to say, my wife and I never returned to that church because we never found community there. We found no belonging there. Shortly after that, we found another church to try out, and it was a covenant church, a covenant church in the area. It was our first experience with the covenant, actually. So yay, covenant! And uh, that church was the opposite. That first Sunday, people greeted us, they welcomed us, they said, hey, let's have lunch. Within a couple weeks, we were part of a small group that became formational for us, became like a lifeline for us in that time in our life. And it was all through belonging. Jesus is calling all of the inconvenient people in our world to himself. And he says to us, let them come to me. Will we see them as problems to solve or wonders to behold? Will we put them in their place or will we make a pathway for them to get to Jesus? Let us be sweepers who help others belong by coming alongside them to reduce the friction so they Can reach the target you can do this i'd like to wrap up by just having a moment of reflection and i want to ask you this simple question it should be up there who are the others in your life take a moment to ask yourself ask the holy spirit to reveal to you who are the others in your life ask yourself how have you put them in their place and ask yourself what is the next brush stroke what's the one simple thing you can do next to help that other find a way to jesus let's pray now i'm so grateful for you for your grace in my life, that you sent people my way to come alongside me to make a way to you. And I ask that you would challenge each of us this morning, that you would clearly put in our mind pictures of people, types of people, communities that we see as others, and that you would put in us a passion and a heart, a desire, to see those people as you do, as wonders to behold, and give us some insight, give us some direction to know how to go to those people. What would be an effective brushstroke to help them to find you? And then give us courage to do so, to set out on the call that you have put on our lives to be sweepers for you. Amen. Thank you for the opportunity this morning.